Hey guys, welcome to Storehouse Media. We're so excited to have you joining us this week. Our heartbeat is biblical doctrine, so we are here as a resource to provide the gospel and biblical teaching and how those two things are inseparable. Join us every week as we tackle different topics regarding faith, life, and truth, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hey guys, Storehouse Media, me and Gama, Israel on the tech tables, doing our thing. We are back. Uh, on whatever episode, what episode are we even on? Do you know? We got to be like on 15 or 16. Yeah, we got to be close. I don't know. We're just like splitting a season at this point. Yeah. Okay. So we might split a season after this uh, and dive into some other things, but we are still covering a few of the questions that you guys posed in on the Instagram page. And today we are tackling one that is insane yeah. to me. Uh, and as Gom and I were just discussing, the preparation for it was one of those like, I don't even know where to begin or what to do, but then it kind of broke down and then it kind of simplified itself. But now I'm overwhelmed again, looking at the notes and, yeah. and wanting to go through this. So uh, one of the questions posed was that we go over the throne room in detail. Uh, and that was all it was, which is kind of vague. Yeah. But I'm assuming what's meant by that is Revelation 4, which is where John is taken up into the throne room to see God seated on the throne and, and some of the things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't know the order, we're going to be in revelation four. If you don't know the order to how this works contextually Romans or Romans, <laughs> you see where my head goes <laughs> revelation one, two, and three uh, is sort of this introduction and John setting the, the scene as to his experience. Yeah. And then it's these seven letters to the churches. Yeah. To the seven churches, uh, of, I guess the known world at the time. Mm -hmm. And then there's this sudden turn that brings us into chapter four. Yeah. And then chapter five continues with the throne room, but a, a different, uh, I guess a, a new introductory point as yeah. the lamb comes in. Yeah. And then chapter six, the whole world <laughs> gets crazy. So <laughs> we're going to be in chapter four. And I do want to say something for some of you revelation nuts out there really quick. If we could uh, do one thing, number one, well, really the only thing I care to tell you, um, there's a really important order, I would argue, to to what yeah. we're looking at here in revelation Yeah, in that... Like I said, chapter six is when the judgments really start to hit the earth. The the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, everything starts getting crazy. All these movies that are apocalyptic, even though I don't think hardly any of them, if any of them, are actually accurate. But yeah. uh, what we know is is there seems to be a lot of chaos that that starts to take place on the earth mm-hmm. uh, during the last days. But yeah. Revelation is ordered very specifically for a reason, and I think it's important that we know that before we get even into those seven seals of judgment, yeah, we first get a picture of the one who is still, regardless of what the world is looking like, yeah, he is still seated on the throne and reigning, yep. right? He is still sovereign. He's still in charge of the whole thing. Yeah. And so that gives us believers hope uh, in the midst of whatever the book of Revelation is going to look like, whether amillennial, dispensational, I don't know, yeah. personally don't care, we'll know when it happens. Yeah. So um, that brings us in. And yeah. so w- here's how we're going to do this. We're going to look at it, not verse by verse, but kind of chunk by chunk. Uh, some of it will be broken down to just one verse, but really just kind of following a flow 
explaining some details and some points and then some cross references to try and get a, a bigger picture. And just in case you're wondering what exactly um, the point of this would be, I would argue God is holy. Yeah. Right. Like that's where we want to leave. This is that God is holy. And that's something very important to teach on because you guys, you know, we could teach on God's love and we could teach on God's grace and we could teach on God's wrath and we could teach on all these things. And I'm sure that a lot of us in some area or some way would worship. Yeah. God's holiness is the one attribute about God that actually doesn't really benefit us Mm, because holiness is just who God is. Right. And so when we look at holiness and the holiness of God, I I think the true believer would be provoked yeah. to worship, oh, right? Yeah. Because even though you're not gaining anything from him, it's almost like one of those realizations where you said, God, even if in the end you throw me in the fire in the lake of fire, yeah. you're still worthy of worship. Yeah. You're still worthy of service because you're holy, yeah. right? And even after looking at this chapter, like you're like, man, all these great spiritual beings. Mm worshiping God. And, and I mean, the, the Bible says <laughs> that even the greatest human is not even greater than the least of the angels. Right. Like if, if that, if we're compared to that, to the spiritual beings and they're worshiping God, like it's yeah. kind of like a question like David always yeah. would say, who are we? Yeah. Who are we? Man. It's, I'm hoping that through this, we get a very tiny view of ourselves and a very gigantic view of God. A glimpse. With that being said, yes. Let that yes. glimpse be that gigantic yes. view. Uh, so let's go ahead and take off. I'm, I'm just going to read it chunk by chunk instead of reading the whole chapter. So verse one, John says this, he says, after this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I'd heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So he begins with behold, which is a very important word in the Bible for me when I'm, when I'm reading one reason that I, not one reason. ESV is the superior translation, JK. But one thing I do love about ESV and NASB and some of is that they they stuck to the word behold. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and anytime I'm reading, no matter where I am in the Bible, if I come across the word behold, I always double underline it. Yeah. Because that word is meant to say, stop every single thing that you're doing. Yep. Check and it look. Out. Yes. All of your attention needs to be focused on what I'm fixing to yeah. tell you. And so John says, after this, I looked and behold, in other words, reader, cease all things yeah, <laughs> and like, focus. Yeah. Up. And he says, there is a door standing open in heaven. Now, that's an important point. Uh, and the reason I would say that is because not everyone gets to look up and see a, a door standing open in heaven, right? Yeah. Who opened the door? Is a question. Here's what I promise you: John did not open the door, right? The door was already open. Yeah, and that's important because you have some 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 of the more liberal, charismatic realms who say that they're the ones opening doors and they're the ones mm. making themselves go into heaven. And so, like, and that was something I was caught up in. I was I was in a I was in a cult where they were teaching that you could go up to heaven at any given point you wanted yeah. to and receive things. And and so. Listen, even and, and they would use this verse. Yeah. And they would use first Corinthians tw- or Second Corinthians twelve. But the reality is this the door was there and it was already open. John didn't open a thing. Yeah. Right? He was just present and the Lord opened his eyes to see a door standing open yeah. in heaven. I mean, a human being doesn't possess any no. sort of 
as as much as it's gonna hurt some some charismatic people, like we don't hold that authority, no, not no authority, not to all. open anything spiritual. No, we can't. No, the only authority we have is given to us by God. Yeah, uh, and that still there are things that are outside of our yeah our power. I guess you. Could I mean, say. even many things that we have authority over isn't necessarily because we have the power to do so, but it's the spirit given us the power to do so. Therefore, I mean, the the authority ultimately is Christ. Yeah. Just like the word of God says that God gave Christ the authority over everything except yeah. himself because God is supreme over everything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the door standing open in heaven. And then from that point, uh, he heard uh, one speaking to him like a trumpet. Okay. Now the trumpet, Old Testament. Now he's not saying this is a trumpet. It's He's saying it's a voice like a trumpet. Yeah. But in the Old Testament, a trumpet would always blow right before something big would take place, right? As yeah. they went into war, whatever you'd want to look at, as 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 big shifts or big movements or big something was about to take place, they'd blow a trumpet. You have a voice like a trumpet, mm-hmm. uh, which I would argue would be, John wrote after this, I looked and behold, the trumpet, the voice like a trumpet was the behold for John. Right, mm. that was the thing where he's like, "Oh, like that catches his attention, yeah, and it makes him look, look up, up. And t- to know what's fixing to take place." As the voice says, "Come up here, yeah, and I will show you what may must take place after this." Again, two very important notes on that. Some of my dispensationalist listeners, uh, you pre-trib guys that believe that the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation, so on and so forth. And I'm not saying every pre-trib guy believes this, but there's a lot of people who believe that that is a symbol of the the rapture of the church. John is being taken up before the tribulation begins, and that's symbolic Mm. for the church being taken up before the tribulation begins. You have to add a lot into the text to get that. Nobody is just sitting down and reading Revelation 4 and going, oh, this is what that actually means, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one thing, Matt Chandler did a whole series on Revelation that I would strongly recommend. One thing he says is that you can't add meaning to this that wouldn't have had meaning to the original readers. Yeah. And that's, that, that is fact. Yeah. And so a guy in the late 1800s thought, oh my gosh, you know what this could mean? No, it can't. It doesn't yeah. mean that, right? Yeah. Uh, but secondly... Going back to that more charismatic, we can go up into heaven whenever we want. Uh, there was a commandment yeah. for John to come up. John didn't say, I'm going to go up into heaven. Let me just walk up there. Right. <laughs> a voice like a trumpet said, come up here. Yeah. And he didn't say, come up here just so you can have fun and yeah. giggle. Have Come up here because I'm fixing to show you something. Yeah. Right. So this is a prophetic moment where John is being taken up into the third heaven in order for God to show him something that is going to take place for our benefit now today. And he had to take an account of it. Like, yes. dude, like, let me write this down. Yes. It was a, I would say, a glorious moment oh, for John, man. yes, but for humanity yeah. to get that, like I said, like that little glimpse of what we're looking toward. Anytime yeah. that Paul, because he wrote most of the letters, anytime Paul refers to our second life, which is right, being regenerated, not regenerated, but being reborn into glorious bodies, yeah. he compares that to hope. Hope is something we don't yet have. God has given us that little sneak peek. Like it's like a trailer. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, this is what's going to happen yeah. whenever you're finally in my presence. Absolutely. And with that, something to keep in mind: um, when we, when you, when you, even when you think about the Book of Revelation, yeah, John begins it uh, with the revelation of Jesus Christ, mm. right? And so that's important yeah. because what's the what's being revealed to us, yeah. 
is you know what I mean? Yeah. So all of that, like when, again, when we're being pulled up there, when we're being taken up there, keep in mind this is not God's not just like, hey, John, you know, this sounds silly, but this is stuff that I dealt with yeah. when I was in this cult. That like God would take you up to heaven so He could tickle you and like you know I'm like, what you know like <laughs> I just there's things that I'm like man I at the time I didn't know my scripture yeah right and I still didn't believe it but now now that I know scripture I'm like man these people are out of their mind yeah you know what I mean like anyway side note uh so keep that in mind the commandment precedes John's trip into heaven and there was a purpose for his trip to heaven. Uh, but then you move into verses two and three at once I was in the spirit and behold, so there's that door, that, that door, that word again, uh, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Man, this is where I feel like we could just sit on this one passage for the rest of the the podcast, but I don't want to do that. Um, so John was in the spirit. Uh, we do have another account of that, of, of someone having a similar experience. Um, second Corinthians chapter 12 verses 12, uh, two through four, yeah. the apostle Paul writing about an experience he had. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man cannot utter. That's insane. Yeah. And so John is having this, the same experience here, yeah. right? And there's a lot of, there really is a lot of debate as to when Revelation was written. Mm-hmm. Um, a majority of people believe around 95 AD, but it could have been before that. And there's some very legitimate arguments for that. Yeah. But here's what I know. Paul was taken up, whether it was in the spirit or in the body. And it doesn't say that John was only in spirit, but that he was in a, a moment of heavy communion yeah. with the spirit. So whether he was taken up in body or in spirit, because uh, this is referencing I was in, I, once I was in the spirit as in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. He's not talking about his own spirit. Yeah. And so we really don't know. We just know that in some form or fashion, he's taken up. And then once again, behold. Mm. Behold. Why? Why behold? Because there's a throne standing in heaven. With one seated on it. One seated. Not two. Not you. (laughs) One. There is a throne in heaven. And that is important. One, the significance of the throne. The throne means reign. The throne means rule. It means authority. It means sovereignty. Yeah, ultimately, it, does. it, mean, it means that whoever sits on that throne does whatever he wants, right? Yep. But then the location of the throne is also important because we're in the third heaven. In other words, the highest realm, yeah. the most authoritative realm. Yeah. Everything underneath that uh, is underneath that authority. Yeah. And there is one throne standing central in the third heaven, and there is one who is seated on that throne. Mm-hmm. Isaiah had a similar experience. Isaiah chapter six, verse one, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
So he's seated in a throne in heaven, and Isaiah says it's, it's a throne that's high and lifted up. In other words, yeah. it's elevated above everything else that would be around it. Yeah, because he doesn't need to get down. No, <laughs> he sits up there, and and, and and that was the thing. In the yeah. ancient days, you would have a throne that would have steps going yeah. up to it. The more the steps, the higher the authority, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But also the king or the ruler who would sit in the throne would wear a train or a robe. Yeah. The bigger the robe, the more the sovereignty. Yeah. And it says that his train, his robe, Filled the entire temple. Yeah. That's an unending amount of sovereignty. He rules the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Do you have something on that? No, I'll keep okay. going, man. So the one seated on the throne, only one, has all the sovereignty, all the power to the degree where even in, and it's, this isn't the only verse, but it's one that always comes to mind for me. Uh, Daniel chapter four, verse 35, Nebuchadnezzar's prayer. He says all the, or it's really his praise. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So the one seated on the throne, he has the highest throne, the largest train of the robe, and he does whatever he wants. And there is no competition. Yeah. None. He is in absolute and utter control to the degree where even if you or I or Frank or uh, I almost called him Isaiah, Israel <laughs> decided, you know what? No, I'm going to challenge him really quick. Yeah. He could just stop our hearts and our lungs and then we can't say a thing. Like yeah. we, we could disappear in thin air. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there's, there is no such thing as a, ch- everything that could possibly want to challenge him was created by him. Mm. And so it doesn't stand a chance. Yeah. Especially not a human being. No. Oh, gosh. Least of all, man. (laughs) So that's where he's seated. But then it gives us some some understanding as to his appearance. Yeah. Right? Uh, That he has the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and that there's a rainbow, an emerald rainbow around him. Now, there's a a few things to consider. One, uh, Ezekiel chapter... 1 verses 26 through 27 Ezekiel so Isaiah 6 Ezekiel 1 and Revelation 4 all have a very similar vision yeah Ezekiel's is scarier it's probably the scariest one I've ever read uh because it, I it just sounds like an encounter that I would scream and die you know what I mean yeah. like I don't even understand so if you guys are interested in that Ezekiel 1 uh but listen to what Ezekiel says about the throne he says and above the expanse over their heads speaking of the cherubim uh over their heads, there was there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of the throne was the likeness of a human appearance. And upward from what what ooh, that is a very weird phrasing. And upward from what the appearance of his waist I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around, which that's that's your that's your uh Jasper right there, that fiery look, right? Mm-hmm. Uh and downward from what looked as to, to be the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire. And there was a brightness around him, like the uh, like the appearance of the bow, so there's your emerald rainbow, that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Now, this is important. It's never saying so is the likeness of the Lord, but the glory of him. Mm. The glory of him. Yeah. Glory meaning this... Uh, 
there's a word in the in the Old Testament uh, in, in Hebrew called halal, and the the word halal literally means like an effulgence or like uh, like when we look at a star, yeah, or if you look at the sun, you're not even actually seeing the sun; you're seeing the light of the sun, mm. right? That's true, yeah. And so when you look at God, when they see the Lord seated on the throne, they're not actually seeing Him; they're only seeing His glory. Yeah, they're seeing His halal. They're they, they're seeing His His effulgence come off of Him, and that's an important note because what Paul says in First Timothy six sixteen. Speaking of God, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no eye has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Unapproachable light. What on earth is that? Right? Yeah. Like, what is that? I Like... In in Revelation, I believe it's Revelation 1 or Matthew 17, there's a point where it says that Jesus' face began to shine like the sun in the yeah. noonday. And you're like, dude, that is in. Because that thing is 93 million miles away. Yeah. Unless you're a flat earther, then it's like 6,000. But either way, <laughs> it's far, right? Jesus is standing among them and his face is shining that brightly. That yeah. would be overwhelming. But then to look upon one who shines so bright you can't actually even see him. I mean, how many accounts do we have? I think right in the Old Testament and and, and in the New Testament where the glory of God mm. is being revealed. Yes. And really only a glimpse. Yeah. The, the full effect of his glory. I think you mentioned It'd on a podcast, us. if we had the full effect of God's glory, it would kill yeah. us. We can't. And that's a bizarre thing because for sinful humanity, we don't want that. Yeah. We want a God that's a lot like us that we can tame and control. But the reality is he is overbearingly glorious to the degree that if we came in his presence, we would dissipate. Like, I don't even know what would happen. Yeah. I don't, I, here's what I do know. As much as people run their mouths about, Oh, I just want to be in the presence of every person I've ever seen biblically that ends up in the presence wants to die and be hurled and out. And wants to get out. It's terrible. It's yeah. terrifying. Yeah. It is utterly terrifying. And it's not because God is mean or evil. Mm-hmm. It's because he's that holy and we're that not. Yeah. Right? It reminds me of the crumbs that were falling off the table in one of the little stories that it says in, in the Gospels. Mm. Like those little crumbs, that's God's glory. If yeah. we think we feel his presence at a church service or at a worship night, dude, those are crumbs falling yeah. off the table. That is not yeah. his full glory. Yeah. Like you said, we would... We'd implode, explode, vaporize, yes. come back and do it 20 more times. <laughs> Infinitely. We just Infinitely. can't stop. Man. So then around that or to the outside of the glory, there's this rainbow, right? And and one thing to keep in mind, the rainbow signifies the covenant of mercy that was given to Noah yeah. after the flood. Originally. Right. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and so when you when you look at this, you have to see that Though he is terrifyingly glorious, he's merciful. Wow. Right? We're reminded that he's merciful, that yeah. this one seated on the throne that by a single thought yeah. could end us is merciful. Wow. And then it moves on. Verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Now, this I feel like this is kind of a fast point. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a lot to add, feel free. Um, this I did not understand this for a long time. I always imagined this to be like, I think, two-dimensional, like a picture on a wall. Yeah. Where you have like the throne and then 12 thrones on one side and 12 on the other. Mm. But it's actually circular. Oh, yeah, yeah, So yeah, you have yeah. the throne and then you have 24 thrones circling that throne. Yeah. And if this is anything similar to Isaiah 6, which it is, that means God's throne is elevated 
above these 24 thrones. Yeah. And so you have these 24 thrones in circular manner around the throne, and they are in no comparison to God's throne because yeah. God's throne is high and lifted up. Yeah. And with the 12 el- or the 24 elders, there's a billion times explanation. Yeah. A billion people think they know exactly what these guys are. Uh, majority of your earliest church theologians, yeah. which is where I would stand because they'd be closest to the to the teachings of the apostles, uh, your earliest commentaries on this would argue that these stand for the 12 tribes of Israel okay. and the 12 apostles. Yeah. That representing the saints of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I would land, and maybe I'm wrong, and that changes nothing about my salvation or the <laughs> glory of God. So... Uh, that does make sense biblically yeah. from a biblical standpoint, because God is the God of the old Testament and the new, and he has not changed. There's yeah. nothing different about him. It makes absolute sense to me. Yeah. So then they're clothed in white garments, which represent righteousness and purity. But there's also another thing to keep in mind. This isn't like if any of you have ever watched family guy, I'm not saying watch family guy, but they would always have these caricatures of God with the, being this old man in a white gown. Yeah. Right. But in any time, especially from a heavenly standpoint when it says they were wearing white garments it doesn't actually mean like they had a white robe on it means that their robe is glowing white Mm. it's like a light it's like they're wearing light yeah right uh and then they have crowns on their head which i don't know what it like i don't know how many of our listeners really think into what they really want like what what like if you really stopped and thought like, okay, what is the thing that I want more than anything in my existence? We want glory. We want honor. We want fame. Yeah. That's what we want. And it's not, I don't even necessarily mean that in a selfish way. We want glory and we want honor because we were created for that, right? We were created to be the crown of creation. And so we were, we were created to have that and sin marred it and, and destroyed it. Yeah. But what these crowns stand for, and that's why in the new Testament, anytime Christ would talk about giving us crowns, that's not just like, hey, when you get here, I'll give you. This isn't Burger King, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, he's saying, I'll give you honor and glory. Yeah. But at a at a at an eternal level. Yeah. A, a and level at f- its time. Yes. And at its yes. Time. And so after that's why in James, uh, I don't even remember the passage. I'll butcher it. But he talks about the crown of life, receiving the crown of life. And that's very biblical because a lot of I would say a lot of humble people tend to like really look down on like, oh, no, no glory, all glory to God, all glory to God. But it's very biblical to understand that one day we will be given glory. It says it in Romans, I think it's eight, right? Where it says if we want to share in his glory, we have to share in his suffering. That means we're going to get glory. Absolutely. But in our time, when we can handle it, because like you said, sin has marred it, Mm. sin has messed it up. When we are without sin, we'd be able to handle that glory and point it to God, except when we get glory now, we point to ourselves. Yeah, It's at its time. Absolutely. And that's where, with that in mind, man, as we prep for that glory, keep in mind 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. When we talk about these crowns, when we talk about being in the presence of God, man, every affliction, which Paul here, who had been just listed out his afflictions and they're far worse than anybody in this room combined has been through. (laughs) um, He calls his afflictions light and momentary because he knows what they're preparing us for. Yeah. Which is not a finite weight of glory, 
but eternal. Yeah. A weight of glory beyond all comparison mm-hmm. that if we're not prepared for it, yeah. it will crush us. Yeah. And another thing that I, I like the way you mentioned the uh, white garments and the golden crowns, but another perspective of it is the way that compares to to John's comparison of God, which was nothing but color, Ooh. full of color. Yeah. And these, in comparison to God, you'd say these are bland. These are, oh, just white. Oh, like just a gold crown when God has a whole train of row filling the temple. And I think about that in like a gold crown in our perspective now is, dude, that's an honor. That's a, that's a yeah. thing. Well, they're given that as like, hey, that's what they got. Like, I know only a few people are going to understand what I'm saying because I'm going to speak to my Marvel fans right oh, now. Oh, gosh. Okay. okay. But you understand, like, if you've seen Infinity War, okay. you know that those Infinity Stones hold a lot yeah. of power. Okay. With one of the Loki series that came out. Um, those infinity stones, well, okay, Loki got transported to something much higher than Earth. Those infinity stones meant nothing. They were being tossed around like little toys. And Loki was like, y'all have these everywhere? Dang. And those, you know, it kind of, really? yeah. Oh, and so I'm man, seeing these gold. crazy. I'm Frank's seeing, agreeing too, man. <laughs> I'm seeing these gold crowns. Like, wow, we see that as like honor, authority, glory. Like, dude, in a way, in comparison to God, those will be thrown around. Yeah. That really means nothing compared to what God well, is. I think that's even the purpose of mentioning the streets of gold. Yeah. It's like gold will be such a commonality exactly. that we'll walk on it. Exactly. We'll, you know, it won't even, like, that's nothing in comparison to the exactly. riches. That's a good point, man. I like that. Yep. Dang. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go, people. Uh, so then verses five through the first half of six, John says, from the throne, so we're back to the main throne, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, and before the throne uh, there was a there was there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. The flashes of lightning and rumblings of thunder. Uh, I've always had kind of an idea of what that was. And then as I really thought more and more about it, my idea was confirmed and then more added. Uh, but first off, you have two different spots in Exodus, Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, where God shows up and you have a very similar. Um, kind of like intro. Sure. Yeah. It says in uh, Exodus nineteen eighteen. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And then 20, verses 18 and 19. Now when all the people saw that the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. <laughs> okay. First off, the lightning and the thunder, God, when God on his throne is still actively commanding all of existence. Yeah. Which means this lightning and this thunder moving out is part of that commandment. When God speaks, it, it, it affects things, right? Yeah. It, it affects things. But then, oh man, this is where things, they really mess with me right here. The very presence of God is disrupting the entire atmosphere, right? And now yeah. that happens in Exodus, right? God shows up in my, our material universe and he disrupts the atmosphere. But even in heaven, even in heaven, it's like, 
He is so incredibly holy that the very atmosphere of heaven can't contain him without having these enormous disruptions. Yeah. Right? And so the presence of God alone, his glory alone, disturbs things that badly. And it blows my mind to think that we actually think we could come in his presence and not be an absolute terror. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I, I know, like... An example I love using about glory, there are people, and this isn't the case for everyone, and I'm not trying to knock on anyone, but yeah. there's there there's just times when you can be in a room with a whole room full of people, and someone walks in, and it changes the atmosphere of the room, right? Mm-hmm. It's their glory, whether that good or bad. Yeah. That's what glory is like. Glory is weightiness. Mm. It's this... It's when, when you come in, people can feel your presence. Yeah. God's glory is so great that the atmosphere can't even contain him without him utterly disrupting and destroying all of it. Wow. That's insane to think about. Yeah. Right. And one day we will be in that glory, but it's important that we are first wrapped in his glory in Christ. Otherwise we will be crushed. Yeah. I'm seeing nothing but awe here oh man but only because we're seeing it secondhand yes because if it was firsthand like you said we'd be in terror yes we'd beg ourselves out of yes. it because we could not but seeing it in a second hand like thank god that was john not us yeah but it just makes me in awe like it helps me it helps humble me like yeah. who are we man and i think honestly if god even gave you a little bit more of a blink into your imagination, yeah. you'd fall in terror, no, right? Yeah. Like that would still be too much. It'd be like yeah. a nightmare to a degree. Yeah. And not, I know people probably take that wrongly. It's not like, we're not talking like a demonic nightmare. We're not, it's yeah. not, it's not like that. It's, it's just so overwhelming that we can't bear it. it yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it'd be something beyond the natural, yeah. which is why it'd be a nightmare because a nightmare is something that isn't normal to you. I Man. mean, and the great thing about it is like you got to you got to think about this. You have to. God didn't have to be good. No. He didn't. He no. choose he is good, okay? He, well, he is, is good. good. He so is yes. good. Yeah. But he didn't have to give us that goodness. He didn't have to give us yes, that goodness. He could have destroyed it. us. Uh he could have we could have been his puppets. So like he could have like it could have been a whole other story. Yeah. But he chose to pour out his goodness, his love, his mercy and his forgiveness on us. Why? Yeah. You know? Yeah. He, when he holds that much power. Man, when he is that glorious and that great. Yeah. It's amazing to think about. Yeah. And it just makes me think, like, all of us here who think we hold a little bit of glory, you know what I mean? And you're looking at this infinitely glorious being in heaven who is. Who gave you the free will to think that? Right, like, right. wow. Yeah. And then, and then looking at what he's done, which I don't want to... I'm going to jump ahead. We'll wait till we get to the end till okay. we get there. But yeah, yeah bring I know me where back we're going. to that. I know yeah, where yeah, we're going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone probably knows where we're yeah. going to. Y'all wait. Um, so then in front of the in front of the throne, seven torches being the seven spirits of God. And that can be confusing because some people are going, wait a minute. Seven. What do you what is that? It's not. We're not. This isn't capital S spirit. Uh, yeah. there's not seven Holy spirits of God. Um, one commentator put it like this. He said that it, when we talk about the seven spirits of God, we're talking about the various gifts, graces, and operations of the spirit of God in the churches of Christ. And mm-hmm. so keep in mind that the word spirit 
doesn't always just mean an entity, yeah. but often a force, right? Yeah. And that's where a lot of people even get mixed up with the Holy Spirit. He is not a force. He is a person. Yeah. But he gives force also, and he gives graces. Energy, and he gives Yes. Yeah. Life. Yes. So... Uh, there's a there's a spot in Isaiah, and this isn't, I understand for the, those you're going to count, this is not seven, but this is an example of yeah. six. In uh, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so yeah. we see um, how that word can be used differently, yeah. right? And so it doesn't mean that God has seven spirits. He's one spirit. Nevertheless. Yeah. I don't really know how else to word that, so I'm going to leave that alone. Uh, but it doesn't mean he has seven Holy Spirits. Yeah. Then in front of that, a sea of glass that doesn't say that is crystal, but is like crystal. Yeah. Again, a million ideas as to what this thing is. I found one Bible verse and then one commentary verse that I thought... I see correlation. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's right, but I see correlation. And either way, the Bible verse is right. So uh, he quotes uh, Ephesians 5.26 that says that he, uh, speaking of the husband and Christ, ultimately of Christ, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Mm -hmm. And then one guy, uh, one commentator said this. He said, the word is to us a crystal glass, giving us a clear sight of God and of ourselves. And so however you want to look at that, you could you could look at this this sea of crystal yeah. almost like the word of God manifest in the kingdom, right? Yeah. Not not the logos as in Jesus, but but almost like this this manifestation of it and and I don't even know because you know that before the throne, like if you get into chapter five, before the throne of the saints, like yeah. it makes me wonder when they come in, do they come in through the sea of glass? Yeah. You know, is that the wall? I don't know. I don't know. This is speculation at this point. Yeah. But there's just a lot of this that is speculation for us because I've never been there because God never opened a door and sounded like a trumpet and called me up there. So, um, Gama, unless you have. I'll wait. Okay. I'll wait. <laughs> <All right. laughs> uh, so then... We're about to get into some crazier stuff. Uh, well, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, Crazy to us. Yeah. Finishing verse 6 into verse 8. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each one of them had six wings and full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It sounds familiar. Yeah, it does. Like a song like- and like <laughs> other places in scripture. <laughs> Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah has a very similar experience. Uh And he says, above him, being the one on the throne, stood the seraphim. So Isaiah names them. Yeah. Right? Uh, John just says living creatures. Yeah. Isaiah names them the seraphim. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Now, seraphim means the burning ones. 
So uh, that's important because I know some of some of our people right now. Yeah, you already know of every breed of heavenly whatever there is, and you're going, oh, the seraphim and the cherubim and the arabim and the terabim and the the you know, like I I don't know. I here's what I know. Uh, there's this creature that John describes that sounds exactly like the creatures which are called seraphim that Isaiah describes. But then in Ezekiel 1, there's a very similar explanation of a creature that is not called the seraphim, but is called the cherub. And so what I want to say, I'm not saying whether it's a cherub or a seraphim, I'm just saying that the meaning of the word seraphim means the burning ones. And Ezekiel is actually going to give us some explanation as to what that burning is like. Yeah. Uh, and this is a long passage, so bear with me. Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. Uh, so we're back in Ezekiel 1 where it's scary. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. So there's some differences. Mm. Four faces and four wings instead of one face each and six wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot and they sparkled like burning like burnished bronze under their wings and on this on their four sides they had human hands and their and the four had their faces and their wings thus their wings touched one another so this you're going to see in the tabernacle right when the tabernacle is built yeah. in the holy place uh uh their wings touched one another each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle and also a human face. So there's your four faces all matching, right? Mm -hmm. All matching the ones in Isaiah and in Revelation. Such were their faces and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings each of which touched the wing of the uh, of another while two covered their bodies and each went straight forward whenever the spirit would go they went without turning as they went as for the likeness of the living creatures their appearance was like burning coals of fire so there's your burning ones like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures and the fire was bright and out of the fire went forth lightning and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. That is terrifying. That sounds like a nightmare. Man, tell me about it. Like I couldn't imagine that approaching me at night, right? Like could you, could, I, I don't even know. <laughs> but <clears throat> that is, so what is what was read just then in Ezekiel for all my Valentine's Day fans out there, that's the description of a cherub. So the little babies with angels that are normally on a Valentine's Day card, that's actually what they look like, what I just read to you. So if anyone wants to redo that art and make Valentine's Day cards that are biblically accurate, I would fund that. Um, Back to the seraphim, these burning ones. What John's going to tell us about them is that they're full of eyes front and back. Right, yeah, they're covered scary. in eyes. That's, scary. that's a terrifying thing. Do they have eyelids? Like I don't know, but I just know they're covered in eyes, and that scares me. Uh, Do they have eyelashes? Right. Yeah. That, oh man, that's creepy. 
the eyes the thing you have to know and it's not to say that the eyes are symbolic and they don't actually exist but it you you have to understand that they're covered in eyes front and back these are intelligent creatures right yeah. they see they perceive yeah but they're also in constant vision of the one who's on the throne no right matter what isaiah and john say that these creatures fly around the throne which means no matter what direction their bodies are they're seeing the one who's seated on the throne yeah. because their eyes will always be facing them, facing him one way or another. But then these four faces, now this is important. Uh, and again, I'm sure that we've got some eschatology buffs out there that want to equate this to America and Russia. And it's not, I promise. Uh, the lion signifies might. The ox signifies strength. The eagle signifies the stealthy hunter, and the man signifies the pinnacle of all intelligence and wisdom. Mm. And what you need to know is these four things, which are, I guess, essentially you could say four of the, the traits of existence, yeah. manifest are surrounding the throne belonging to the one who's seated on the throne. Wow. Right? And so what that's saying is all might, all strength, all stealth, all all ability to hunt, pursue, all wisdom and all intelligence and all intellect belong to the one who's seated on the throne. Yeah. He's the very source of it. Yeah. And these creatures that John says again are covered in eyes, they are unceasing in worship. They never stop worshiping. Never. From the it, I like to imagine it that the moment they popped into existence however god did that yeah they just started screaming out worship right because they could not because all they could see was him wow that's all they could yeah. see and what they're crying out holy 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 is the lord god almighty yeah right now for us we have the song the revelation song we sing it uh, but we need to get a little bit better of an understanding to the to the meaning of holy, holy, holy. Yeah. Uh, because in reality, in the Hebrew mind, that's not really how it would have gone down. To say something three times is superlative. Uh, in other words, the I I would argue, and so would some other theologians. I would argue, not that I'm a theologian, but if I were, I would agree with him. Uh, <laughs> They would say what's really being said, if you put holy, holy, holy in a superlative, it's holy, holy, or holiest. Mm. And so it's this constantly growing, infinite, holy. I, yeah. I don't know how else to explain it. But that's what they're singing yeah, unceasingly. And there's other things to pay attention in this. One... They cover their faces in his presence. I think that's an important note, uh, that they cover their faces. And that's what Isaiah tells us. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Why the face and the feet? One, because God is too holy for their faces to look upon him, mm. right? So these four creatures, these four seraphim that are nearest to the throne, created to worship day and night, cannot even put their face on him, yeah. but they have to cover it in humility yeah. because the one who's seated on the throne is so glorious. But they also have to cover their feet because the feet are the symbol of our most vulnerable and humble spot. Mm. It's all, it would almost be a shame yeah. to expose that before the Holy One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and, and listen, 
This is the creatures that God created to be put in front of him. Yeah. And he's still so great. And you go, well, why'd he make him do that? He didn't. It's just impossible for a created thing to be in front of him and not have to do that. I love that. It's it's not that God was like, you know what? Let me make these things lesser yeah. so that they have to do that. That's just what it is because God is infinitely above understanding wow. comprehension. Like, there's not a level. That's the thing. We all want to make this level. We want to have this like... And I think I've used this before, but like, okay, what's what's closer? What's more like God, an archangel or pond scum? Mm. Well, neither. Yeah, they can't be it's because he's he, yes, those things are on levels. God doesn't have a level. Yeah, he's infinitely holy. Yeah, and so these creatures created to be the nearest to him cannot even fully expose themselves yeah. before him. That's insane to think about. Yep, and they sing out constantly, covered in eyes. Because in all reality, God is infinite in glory. His knowledge and his understanding and his wisdom are inexhaustible and unsearchable. Which means from the moment these creatures were created, which I don't know how long ago that was, until now, yeah, into 65 billion years into eternity, and then 6 billion quadrillion years past that, yeah. They will still be growing in the knowledge of God's glory. Yeah. Constantly. They cannot help but to sing praises. Yeah. They can't. Mm -hmm. Because it's like with every turn, with every eye, with every every glimpse of him yeah. comes a new revelation of his glory. And so they erupt in praise again and again. Yeah. That kind of reminds me like Back in the day at church, whenever music wasn't as advanced as it is now, mm -hmm. back when music was just three or four chords and every, all the congregation would be like, yeah, man, we keep singing this song. I remember back then in Spanish music, if you wanted to repeat a song over and over again because you were just the congregation was just feeling it, you kept going. What our tendency was was to put in a key change and that key change would give a new boost of excitement. Like, okay. oh, they just changed the key. It sounds even more powerful. But then that would easily get old. You repeat that chorus two more times. And I remember one time back a few years ago, I changed the key like three or four times. Cause, man, we just wanted to keep going. But, man, that key just got boring. Yeah. So you just change the key again, a boost of excitement. I imagine these guys up there in heaven are changing that key a million times. And They're they'll like, never run out of it. They'll just never run out. It just keeps going and going. Just like you said, there's just another revelation. And mm -hmm. the thing is, like, you'll never be able to fully reveal who God is. Yeah. Therefore, it'll be in eternity. Yeah. It'll be in eternity. Yeah. And we'll enjoy it. Man. Now, there's, oh, gosh. There's we'll two types of people. There's the people like, man, that sounds so boring mm. like we're just gonna be doing that we're gonna enjoy it and if you're not gonna enjoy it you don't have a place in heaven yeah you're not gonna you're, be there you're not gonna like be that's there. just the reality don't of stress it. it you'll be somewhere else yeah 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 man it is like there's words that i want to use that i feel inappropriate using mm. but like i have to because i don't know another word yeah but like it will be the purest, holiest, most complete ecstasy that you could ever imagine. I would agree. That you, to be in the presence of God. Yeah. Beyond comprehension. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> uh, so finishing out the chapter, verses 9 through 11. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders... 
fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. That's a lot to unpack that I'm going to try because I feel like it can also be very redundant with things we've also already explained. Yeah. So I'm going to try and just follow the flow of the elders. So number one, every time the four living creatures worship, these elders fall and give worship as well. Well, we have to ask the question, how often are the four living creatures given worship? Unceasingly. Yeah. Constantly. And so you almost have to get this idea, and this is how I like to imagine it in my head, that these elders fall on their face and they give worship and they cast their crowns, right? To fall, They can't worship standing up because it's too overwhelming. They yeah. have to fall. And it doesn't say they bow their knees. It says they fall, right? This yeah. isn't... This isn't uh, this isn't civilized. Yeah, yeah this yeah. is explosive. Mm-hmm. They're erupting and they're falling on their faces and they're casting their crowns, which are, are symbols of their glory, yeah. right? All the glory that they have, all the riches, all the honor, they're casting it back at the feet of the one who's on the throne because it came from him anyways, yeah. right? It's his that he bestowed on them freely by yeah. grace. They didn't do anything to deserve it. But then it's like they gather themselves for a second they grab their crowns, they put them on their heads, still looking down. Yeah. They stand up looking at their feet. They sit back on their throne. They pick their head up. They see him and they just fall back on their face again uncontrollably. You know, I feel like that's just the repetitive cycle yeah. for these guys over and over that the second they begin to gather themselves, they see him again and they cannot help but to explode in worship. Yeah. It is, listen. There will be no greater, more excitement-filled celebration in all of existence than in this moment right here. Yep. It will be hearts overflowing uncontainably in praise and worship and celebration to the one who is seated on the throne. Yeah. We won't be able to help it. We won't. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I... I, I don't know why. I, I'm really not a sports guy. Yeah. And so I get excited at really dumb things. Yeah. Like I remember one time being at Indigo Beach <clears throat> and we had a spike ball tournament going on. Okay. And a couple of my guys who I think at the time were like freshmen or sophomores. I don't remember. Yeah. But they were playing some, they were playing some, it was like the final game. Yeah. And the athleticism <laughs> in this spike ball tournament was so hype right like i could not contain myself i was getting so into i wasn't even playing right and so i'm like i at one point i remember getting so excited about a play that happened yeah that i was hiding it down the beach and screaming right <laughs> and i it wasn't even planned like yeah. i just got that excited that i couldn't hold it in yeah and that is like the tiniest fragment of what celebration will be like yeah in the presence of the one on the throne I love how you use the word celebration because mm. that's what it is. Yeah. Because you want to. You're like, man, there's nothing else I could do than yeah. this. Well, see, but and and it works better for 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 you and and like because the Hispanic culture, man, y'all are a little more excitable. Oh yeah. In worship, white people, man, trying to get white people to actually be happy about worship is like, 
and not I don't want to cap on you guys. That you can, you can. But us, us Anglos, I've been to, man. I've been to some Hispanic services, and we worship. Yeah. And I've been to some white people services, and they're just standing still. Man, and it's I'm like, like, what is wrong with you guys? I'm, I'm like, you. dude. I'm telling you. No, I, I'm not. I'm not saying nah. y'all don't worship because I said that once, and somebody corrected me, and somebody said, "No, they just worship differently." I'm like, oh, okay. That's fair. I'm like, I'd rather there be more excitement, <laughs> right? Yes, but dude, yes. Yeah. It's just gonna be this unexplainable expressions that people would now call craziness yeah lunatics on something yes but honestly yes yeah. like you we're like in the presence of the lord it's gonna be excitement craziness there's nothing to contain yeah. what would we contain when we give everything to the lord yeah man all you white people are gonna have to adjust to just they need to know that now man i'm telling <laughs> yeah. you Come it's to gonna a, be insane. Come to a Spanish service. Go. Come to go. one. Go to, You're going to have yeah, fun. Go yeah. to PIB. You'll get some. You may not know what they're saying half the time, but that's okay. Um, so all that being said, in their worship, they're expressing that God is worthy. Yeah. Right? And why is he worthy? Because he created everything, and by his will, they exist, and they were created. Yeah. Right, everything that is, including these twenty-four elders and the four creatures, yeah, exists because God wanted to create them. And why did He create them? Not for His benefit. Yeah, He's perfectly self-sustaining. Yeah, He created them for their own benefit, that they yeah. could that they could drink of the water of glory. Yeah, right, that they could be so excited. So. Their worship is because he is worthy. Yeah. It is because he's worthy. So now let's bring this bad boy home with what I would argue to be the most applicable and important message that we can gain ever. Um, Philippians chapter two. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be. Now let's stop. Who's he, who's he in the form? Who's he equal with? Yeah. That one who's seated on the throne, yeah. right? The one we just explained, who's, who's the very atmosphere of heaven can't even really contain his glory. Yeah. Christ, in equality with him, wow. did not consider that a thing to be grasped. In other words, he didn't consider it a privilege that made him too good for us. Wow. But emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born like the in the likeness of man and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross now to be in human form is humiliating enough oh, for yeah. him oh, yeah. for the one seat on the throne to come down as a man yeah is humiliating enough but then to be obedient to the very law that he gave to be obedient to the very law of physics that he created to be yeah. obedient to have to be sustained and no longer being the one who sustains Where all he things. he has to eat. Yes. He got hungry. Yes. He has to be guided. Yeah. He could do nothing unless he saw the father do it first. He couldn't go back home at no. 12 years old. No. The amount of things that he gave up to come down and be a man, the amount of humiliation involved in the one who's seated on the throne, but then he was obedient even at the point of death. The eternal one, the one who is the very fountain of life himself became obedient to the point of death and not just any death, but death on a cross, which according to Deuteronomy 21, his own law meant that he was cursed by God. Yeah. Right. Why? Well, Galatians 3.13, 
Christ Jesus saved us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Yeah. Because if he did not do that, none of us would stand a chance at coming into the presence of the one who sits on the throne. Mm. None of us would stand a chance at being able to enjoy the ecstatic and exciting worship of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. We would all be eternally destroyed in the lake of fire because God is just and he is holy yeah. and sin cannot be in his presence. Yep. But Jesus Christ bore those curses uh, as, as second Corinthians five twenty one says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteous of God in him. All of our sinfulness that banishes us from the kingdom was imputed to Jesus Christ on the cross and Christ was banished as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in place, as he took our sin to death, he imputed to us his righteousness so that now we can stand before God without being crushed and die under his wrath. Yeah. But we're accepted into the kingdom of heaven. And so if you're hearing this and you're like, oh my gosh, uh, the calling then is turn away from your sin, right? Yeah. That's the calling. Repent and believe the gospel that, that this one seated on the throne so high and so great yes. humbled himself to such far extent so that we could be brought in. Yep. And so we're called to turn away from our sin, knowing that that same one who humbled himself in the form of a man died on a cross for our sin, rose from the grave three days later, and he is promising that he will come back. Yeah. He will restore all things and he will reign and he will rule. And so, yeah, there's my call to repentance, man. That, that's it right there. Yeah. Dude. I don't know what to say after that. So if you want to take I the mean, reins. That's just in, in, in addition to what we said with both the throne room and the gospel. That is what at its purest definition, what the word good means. Mm. Good means that what yeah. we just described God as in this podcast. That's good. That's why when Romans three says that there is none that none. is good, there is none that are like that. Yeah. No one, yeah. no one that create can create something and do nothing but worship. Like yeah. I can't create anything. Not even, I cannot even procreate kids, yeah. children that would worship me in that, in that manner. Yeah. It'd be sinful to do that yeah. because I am not good. Yeah. I do not compare. Like the word of God says, there is no rival to God. What does that mean? There's no one who can't compare. Mm. Like if I'm going up against a three, four teams, like let's say we're playing volleyball and we got three or four teams. Technically, my rival would only be one that has a chance against me. Yeah. The other ones are just opponents. Yeah. A rival is one that stands against. There is no rival against God, which means there's no one that stands a chance, which yeah. falls into our Calvinist podcast, his irresistible grace, his irresistible power. Mm. Nothing could resist worshiping God. No. No. You taste that goodness, man. You explode. <laughs> you explode. The end. Yes. Take it from the elders yeah. and the seraphim <laughs> and the angels. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh, if you man. don't like Calvin, just take it from those guys. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I don't know. I don't have anything to add. That's I, it for I don't me know too. how long that was, but I feel like it was probably pretty long. You're welcome. Yeah. Y'all are welcome. So uh, let's pray. Yeah. Father, you are holy. And what I would love is to that we would get feedback on this of people who got a, who got a greater glimpse of your glory and of your holiness. Not, not because of us, but because of your word, Lord. But our hearts are so dull because of sin. 
our eyes so blind, Father, we cannot see unless you give us sight. And so I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us greater degrees of your glory so that our lives would increase in greater degrees of worship. Your word tells us that that's what you're seeking for is people who would worship you in spirit and in truth. And so we're asking you, Father, not just for us in this room, but for all of our listeners and for everyone that they would encounter, that you would make us like burning ones, God, that we would also be so enveloped in worship because of your glory that it would be contagious for everyone else. Lord, let our lives lead such an example that people have to know why. They have to know a reason for the hope that's within us. We rely on your power for this, Lord, and for your glory. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. See you all next week. See you all next week. Thank you so much for listening. We hope this podcast has served as a blessing to you. If you want to contact us or want more information, visit our website at storehousemedia.org or follow us on all social media platforms at Storehouse Media. Until next time, grace and peace.